bluffing through this week as best we can. Welcome to Hand of Pod. lineup for this week's podcast. Um, I'm still here, I'm Sam Kelly, um, but everybody else is different. Obviously, being an episode of Hand of Pod, uh, we couldn't possibly go ahead without somebody called Dan. Uh, this week's chosen Dan is neither Australian nor officially English. Uh, we've always referred to him previously as German Dan, but I think now we have to start calling you Swiss Dan, don't we? Jawohl, that is good. After a bit of a mix-up with... Uh, Credentials for for the Olympics. Yeah, so just come from the Hilton Hotel where they're giving out credentials for this weekend's uh, International Olympic Committee meeting. Where normally they'll get my surname wrong. They got my surname spot on, but uh, made me Swiss uh, working for Eurovision, which I, I don't and uh, I'm not Swiss. But so call me Swiss Dan if you like. As as you can hear, listeners, uh, he's he's not really German either. Uh, he's just got a funny German surname, so that's that's what we call him. Um, but in case you are wondering, it's, it's Dan Schweimer, who's who's been on the show a few times previously, and apparently doesn't like Fernet, even though I was sure I could remember him drinking Fernet with us uh, on previous recordings. So there you go. We're also joined for the very first time by Andres Bruckner. Uh, say hello, Andres. Hello, hello. Thank you very much for the invitation. Well, I am here to give my views, my opinion about uh, what, what, what is always a strange, rare, weird uh, a five, a fifth round of uh, Argentina. Mm. Full Argentina, to say it in Argentine football. Yeah. Okay. Uh, like Santiago, uh, Andres is kind of using this partly as a, a free English practice class. <laughs> That's yeah. what Santi always says, he, he uses us to, <laughs> to get some practice in. Um, and we're joined, we're, we've got the honour this week, the questionable honour, of um, uh, also being joined by my little brother, uh, who just got into Buenos Aires this morning, and who, who has uh, a knowledge of Argentine football so vast that you could write a, p- a postcard with it. Um, say hello, William. Hello, William. Uh, William was, was watching uh, Independiente versus Independiente at the weekend. We will get on to that one later, and we will explain... Uh, exactly why Independiente were playing themselves. This wasn't some Pro Evolution Soccer 2014 match-up between fans of the same club. But first of all, we're going to talk about the weekend just gone in the Primera, which, as Andres says, was an unusual one. I'm wondering where to start, and I think, Dan, since we've got you, uh, since you are an enormous Argentinos fan, that uh, we should start with, without doubt, the most thrilling match of the weekend... Why on earth was it played at three o'clock on Monday afternoon? <laughs> That's a fine question, and it's the second time this has happened. There was a previous game earlier on in the, in the five, you know, five game old season. I wanted to do is that get to a game, and it was again at four o'clock on a weekday afternoon. It was a Friday, that? wasn't it? it was, it was the I thought, fourth round. One, I think so. Yeah, yeah, it's a Friday, so, which is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you know, most of the fans are working people. Um, neither of these days were public holidays. We no, exactly. Neither of them was a normal working day. Um, 
obviously there are no away fans going anyway, you know, they're not allowed into the grounds. But even so, the home fans, the Arsenal fans, you know, you would imagine they, many of them would, would have wanted to go to this game. Arsenal playing quite well, Argentina's playing okay. Um, you know, so I've no idea what the crowd was like in the end uh, for a very dull nil-nil draw. But again, you, you know, yeah. the, the easy joke about an Arsenal home crowd. Yes, well, yes. <laughs> At least it wouldn't have made much of a difference to the attendance to kick off time, then. But no, a ridiculous, a ridiculous idea. What the thinking, what the justification for it, it for it is, I have no idea. But uh, it certainly wouldn't happen if it were Boca River, um, San Lorenzo. I think it's often the smaller clubs, you know, the Arsenal. <laughs> It'd be funny if they tried that. But it would be. It would be. Yeah. Um, what did you make of the match itself? Well, the match... Was, I've got to admit, I, I missed most of it. I think I caught the last half hour. I saw little bits of it. I read the reports afterwards. Uh, painfully dull. Either of the teams, if they're the one, it could have gone top of the table, which is remarkable mm. uh, for, many, for many different angles. Um, nobody expected Argentina's juniors to be playing as well as they've been playing this season. Um, Arsenal, you know, the same. Uh, and I think perhaps the pressure getting to them both, this, this fear of heights, perhaps, that uh, either of these two humble teams uh, to put it uh, politely, uh, could have been top of the table, a quarter, you know, more than a quarter of the way through the season. So uh, perhaps that fear got to them. And I think uh, by the sound of it, the two of them played uh, a very, very dull, um, kind of slightly nervous game. Indeed. There was one other, uh, by all accounts, awfully dull game, which also ended nil-nil over the weekend, which was on uh, Saturday afternoon, which was between Gimnasia La Plata and Godoy Cruz. I don't know if any of you saw that one. I missed the entirety of it I just didn't realise it was taking place it was a two o'clock uh, kick off which is the earliest one we've had this season by far so I was out enjoying a very pleasant afternoon in the sun and uh, got home for the first match of the day and switched the television on at four and saw that that match had taken place and thought oh <laughs> okay then <laughs> at least it wasn't a big one uh, did anyone see it? No, but again, it's a, it's a problem, isn't it? You're missing games because the uh, often the, the the times well, of the games. Two uh, o'clock on a Saturday, I don't mind. That was more my no. just being lazy and not checking the kickoff time. But often they're not scheduled until very late. You can no. plan on a Monday to go to a particular game at four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, only to find on a Friday it's been moved to three o'clock. There or, was one. You know, there was one last weekend. I think it was a Monday last week that they, they moved the kickoff time forward by half an hour, hmm. seven hours before the match. Yeah, yeah. For security reasons in inverted commas but you think mm. well what difference does half an hour make when you're kicking off at quarter past mm. eight anyway security reasons television scheduling yeah. you know, it's going to be one or the other but yeah mm. it makes little sense and again it's, I think it's a sign of how uh, in what disdain often the fans are held you know we've got lives to plan we've got things to arrange before and after matches friends to meet at the, gro- at the ground uh, when it's changed at the last minute it's uh, you know it's very inconvenient and mm. Cordoba people uh, people that live in Cordoba might, might be used to that uh, uh, funny kick of times because they they are they only play between 4 and 5 o'clock yeah uh, even in, in the uh, uh, working days like like yesterday, Belgrano against Rafaela, five uh, in the, in the, on a Monday. And a lot of the time, they don't know which stadium the match is going to be in until the day before. It could be in the Bicentenario, in the, the Copa America stadium, or it could be in Belgrano's own stadium, or, or Tachere's own stadium, or, or whoever. Um, so yeah, you have to pity that. At least in Capital, you know more or less which stadium the match is going to be in. It, it also uh, occurs in, in, in the National Bay, Instituto suffers the same... Mm. Uh, the same stuff uh, is that you you can't explain in a rational rational way because it's it has no explanation really. No, no, exactly. Um, 
other notable uh, results of the weekend, I, th- I think, and Andres, like me, uh, is a River Plate fan. Um, amusingly, we are both wearing uh, T-shirts for the same football club at the moment. They're not River shirts, they're Pumas shirts from me- uh, of Mexico. Um, entirely coincidentally, we didn't dress like this. Don't believe, don't believe that for a moment, coincidentally. <laughs> um, but I'm sure Andres was, was as resigned as I was on Sunday um, with Rivers' defeat to San Lorenzo. Uh, all of our listeners have heard me and, and Joel as well uh, rant at great length about how rubbish River are at the moment. So Andres, give us a new voice saying the same things at least. Well, uh, no creation. Uh, it, there is a, a, a truth that we can't deny. That, uh, if you don't score any goals, you won't, you can't win any match. And, mm. and River has scored two goals in five matches, which is the worst tournament start in the whole history in, since uh, football became professional is since so? 1930. Yes. Wow, I didn't realize the, that. The, at least if that is what I, what I heard. And if 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 so, it is. Really, really well. It, it is bad. As Belgrano yesterday scored two goals in the second half of the match against Rafaela, and River has scored two ma- two goals in the five matches. Yeah. And uh, well, uh, yes, that is which is most uh, impressive is the the lack of goals because you can win, you can lose, you can play in a good way, in a bad way. Uh, against Cologne, for example, the last, uh, mm. the, the previous round, the fourth round. Uh, River had a 70% of the possession, uh, ball possession, and it was only one chance, a concrete, a clear chance of yeah. scoring the more, uh, the more possibility. Yes, and, um, well, Ramon Diaz has said, well, yes, it's true, we are playing, playing not a very, in a very good way, which is obvious, uh, you can't say anything else. And he uh, yesterday closed, uh, shut down the Twitter account because... Uh, as, as did Emiliano, his, his son. Yes. Yeah. There was a supporter who said, uh, well, River has less depth than a Pelopincho swimming pool. <laughs> which is, uh, the, the Pelopincho swimming pools are very, very small uh, swimming pools, which you can put, uh, you can fast, easily put in your terrace, in your upstairs, and well. Yeah, kind of a, a blow up. Yes, um, and, and so that... Uh, Annoyed Ramon Diaz and well, I don't know if that is the only, the only reason why he, he shut down the, the, the Twitter account. He seems to be angry about everybody. I mean, he's yes, saying there's a conspiracy uh, by, the ref- by the Argentine referees, you know. So I think even when your own manager is not recognising the faults, okay, yes, he said they're not playing very well, but to rant and rave about a conspiracy by Argentine referees against Viva is really a sign. Uh, you know, the first thing you need is your manager to say, we're playing badly and we're going to do this, this and this. Yes. He's not doing that. At least yesterday so. he, he said that. He said, well, we are not playing like River... Uh, demands their players to play and what is most remarkable is that the new players that came to the this season aren't working aren't uh, playing uh, mm. the way no. that they were they were expected to play like Jonathan Favreau is the one the, the, the first place because uh, Ramon Diaz asked for him as, a, as if he were Pablo Imari in his beginnings mm. and uh, he's uh, more than 30 years He's, uh, uh, he didn't play uh, the previous, before he came to River, he wasn't playing uh, very often. So he was uh, in a, not in a good way, physical 
forum. No, it's taking a while to reach fitness. But again, it's the manager's job to recognise that. And, you know, we're, what, five games into the season? Again, it's this kind of very typical Argentine impatience, you know. It's a disaster, everything's terrible, the country's against us, the referees are against us. I mean, surely there's got to be, you know, he hasn't got much time, already a quarter of the way into the season, but even so, Ramon Diaz has to get a grip. You know, he is responsible, ultimately, for spotting when the players aren't fit enough, who plays well with who. I mean, he's got to take some of the blame. Some, some of the refereeing uh, business, of course, it doesn't come out of thin air. It was a rather peculiar decision. San Lorenzo's goal, San Lorenzo certainly deserved to win. That's the first thing I'm going to say. We're not disputing this at all. Uh, the goal came from a respotted penalty kick after Marcelo Barrovero, River's goalkeeper, um, who continues week in, week out to be River's best player, um, had saved Julio Buffarini's. Uh, <laughs> Manchester City target Julio Buffarini's penalty I've got to say that so we get people listening and piss off a few of our City supporting listeners probably um, it was called back because Barrovero had allegedly stepped off his line I've had a word with a, a hand of pod listener ex-professional goalkeeper Justin Bryant um, whose book whilst we're here Small Time My Life in the Football Wilderness you can buy on Amazon.com uh, or .co.uk it's very good I'm not just saying that because he's a friend I did enjoy it and he was telling me that the, the, the rule for, for that in the FIFA law book is very strangely written. And basically, by some referees' interpretations, what Barrovero did was fine, which was he took a step forward, but he kept one foot still on the goal line. Justin said to me that normally, in his experience, if you're a goalkeeper and you're waiting to save a penalty, then the, the referee will tell you, first of all, if, if he wants both feet to remain on the line, he'll come over and say, I want both feet on the line. And if he doesn't say that you can often sort of take it as read that you're allowed to, to make sure one stays on the line but step forward with the other. Which I think, I'm, I'm assuming, is, is what Barovero thought was going on because he reacted furiously when the linesman pulled it back and said, no, you've got to retake it. Which, of course, Buffarini scored it the second time round. And San Lorenzo, as we say, got a, a very deserved win. So it's not as if some of this... Uh, there's a catalyst for it, let's say. I'm not saying that there's actually a good reason to say the referees are mm. <laughs> a, a cheating it was, it river. It was one dubious decision, perhaps. Precisely, and yeah. The way I, I read it was that he had technically broken the, you know, broken the law, but it's one of those laws that referees generally will not exactly. impose. Yeah. Uh, so how do you know when they're imposing the law and when they're not? This but technically, is why he had with, broken it. But, this is why I wanted know, to chat with Justin. So the, ref, the referee's yeah. not wrong, but he's not right either. You yeah. know, so it's, it's a tricky one. Even, even Buffarini uh, said that he understood the, the yeah. how, how River yeah, yeah. players protested because uh, it's something so unusual. Then, and, and you you can see that if, if a player from the other team says that uh, means that well uh, that means something because no no, no yeah, it's very easy for Buffarini to say when he's won the match of course <laughs> it's easy then to step back and go yeah I do feel sorry for them but, I mean he's got the three points um, but of course that was the second part in a, an epic three parter of what's going to turn out to just be three really awful matches between River and San Lorenzo because. Uh, River having having won the first one rather undeservedly, 1-0 in the Nuevo Gasometro as well, have the second leg of the Copa Sudamericana tie on Thursday night. Is that going to be any better? Is it going to be at least good for the neutral? It's going to be another 1-0 for one, one team or the other. Another yeah. lucky goal with the sound of it. Who's going to go through? Uh, who would put money on it? I don't know. Uh, I think San Lorenzo. Uh, they've got the upper hand at the moment. You know, the, pre- the, the uh, flow is with them after the, you know, perhaps you know, fortunate uh, penalty goal at uh, the weekend. So I'd go with San Lorenzo for that one. I think River will scrape it. 
I, I would R- say River still, for all of their attacking words, their defence, as I've mentioned several times already this season, as I keep coming back to the one straw we're grasping to, is that River's defence looks quite good, and Barovero is a very good goalkeeper. So I'm going to go with River to just cling on, but they've not got Teo Gutierrez, vitally. He's away for the World Cup qualifiers um, with the Colombian national team. Uh, so he's going to need somebody or other to step up just to give them some presence at the other end of the pitch definitely and, and for Paraguay also. yes that's yes. perhaps not quite so much of a loss yeah. um, <laughs> uh, I have to admit of course and, and to admit because uh, lots of listeners will be aware already that I said at the beginning of the season that Fabro was going to be a very good signing from River uh, so far he's certainly not been Rodrigo Mora has been very disappointed I don't know what they were expecting with Rodrigo Mora given that he was shit during the whole Torneo final as well while they went after him so relentlessly to try and get him back. He looks slow, lazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. He makes wrong decisions. It's like we don't know. We we expected the the, the old Mora to say it in different words. When he, he first joined River just over a year ago, throughout the Torneo Inicial last year, yes. he was absolutely superb, and then during the Torneo Final, he fell away and was was crap. Um, and so everybody, when, when River re-signed him, was saying, well, is this going to be, which, which Mora are they getting here? And it turns out that it's pretty much the same one um, as, as was playing in the first half of this year. Um, one other controversial penalty, moving on from River now. Has anybody else heard about this, that uh, Rosario Central's goalkeeper Mauricio Caranta is suspended this weekend? No, Colón versus Rosario Central ended 2-1 to the Santa Fe side. Ha, now which of those is the Santa Fe side? The Santa Fe City side, that's Colón, um, because Rosario is also from the, the province of Santa Fe. And it featured two penalties. Uh, one was scored by Washington Abreu, better known as Sebastián Abreu, um, but Washington is his first name, magnificently, um, for Central to make it 1-1 after Ruben Ramirez had put them ahead. Uh, Colón ahead, sorry, and then with about 10 or 12 minutes to go, Ruben Ramirez himself scored a second for Colón from the spot, and uh, I didn't think that was too controversial personally, but uh, Caranta, Central's goalkeeper, was upset about it enough that he didn't get sent off during the match, he didn't even get yellow carded during the match. After the match, in the tunnel, he got into an argument with the referee, who was Diego Onions, Diego Ceballos, um, and when Colón's technical team came over to sort of protect the ref, I guess, uh, Caranta lamped one of them. So he got red carded after the match and he's going to be suspended this weekend, possibly for more than one match. Um, that was uh, controversial as well because it was the second penalty in as many weeks that Sebastián Abreu had scored. It was the second time in as many weeks that he hadn't panenkered it. Mm-hmm. So it seems that Hand of Pod, who mentioned two weeks ago how he always panenkers penalties... Um, have put the curse on it that's not going to happen anymore he's taking penalty after penalty and just blasting them all into the top corner I think he was smart uh, because he uh, the, the goalkeepers expected him to do the panenka and, and well on uh, Saturday I think it was Saturday wasn't it on, on Saturday the, the guy dived Caranta dived for it but yeah you're right the, um, the the previous weekend one in the fourth round which was against Ooh, is it going to load? Uh, against Godoy Cruz. Um, you're quite right. Rico just stood up for it and then watched it fly mm, <laughs> yes, the top yes, right yes. corner. Which actually I thought was the right decision. I mean, mm. if you've done your research on Abreu, that's what you do with penalties. Um, whereas Caranta, I think in some ways, presumably had, had guessed that he was going to do the same as the previous week. He was going to go for an A corner 
run that Panenka decided he was going to go for the opposite corner as the previous week and, and dived the right way but the, the penalty was, was well struck and, and too high Colón I wanted to just big up for a second because Colón always used to have this historically very famous home record which we've mentioned many times before on Hand of Pod as, as a thing of yore that's just never going to come back because they've been useless almost relentlessly rubbish since we've started recording this podcast which is almost three years ago now um, Colón's uh, stadium is, is colloquially known as the, the elephant's graveyard they beat Santos when Pelé was playing for Santos um, black and blue they beat Nacional and Peñarol these great foreign sides in, in the Copa Libertadores in, in the 60s and 70s and just recently, it's it's been like you can go there if you're Atletico Rafael or, or Godoy Cruz, and you can take points back easily because Colón have just been pants basically. Um, this season, they seem to be finding their mojo again. They're fourth in the table. They're actually joint second in the table uh, on ten points from their opening uh, five matches. They've only lost once, and I think. Oh, I think he's curious. Yes, yeah. yes, of course. Yeah, um, indeed they have. Um, and I think I'm right in saying I, th- I think they've they've lost uh, one at home towards the end of last season. So the current home record is only that they're something like two or three matches unbeaten, I think. But prior to that, they they'd had a fairly lengthy run. So it seems like this famous home record is starting to. Did they not to have come a curse? Again. Was there another curse on their ground which they managed to send an exorcist in or something along those along those lines? Oh, there was season? the Virgin who got yeah, stopped. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yes, they moved back. the Virgin, didn't they? They moved the Virgin for renovation work. And then I, somebody I think Ariel Garcia, who now plays for Argentinos Juniors. Yeah, is it Garcia who, who broke it? I remember talking about this with English possibly, Dallas, possibly yeah. So I think that might be the explanation for the uh, recent poor home record. They've now sorted that out. For our um, non-Catholic yeah. listeners, we should probably go into slightly more detail in case you weren't listening to the pod at the time. Um, there was a, 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 a image of the, I think it was a version of Guadalupe mm-hmm. um, at Colón's ground, which is always said to, to bring good luck, and it was taken away to be cleaned. Um, and when it came back, it was an entirely different colour. Mm-hmm. And I forget exactly how, but Ariel Garcia was involved in this somehow. He might have just been the person who tweeted mm-hmm. a picture of it. Um, the, the then Colón and, and Argentina defender um, who now plays for Argentinos Juniors um, who Dan gets the pleasure of seeing in the flesh every week um, and after some ridiculous period like two months during which Colón managed four defeats and a draw in their home matches or something the Virgin was taken away and, and touched up again so to speak Restored um, to her former glory, exactly. as was Cologne's home record. Quite, uh, yes, and, and that's when Cologne started mm, winning matches again. Mm, Bizarrely, it, it's weird. Who, who, who are we? Who are we to question? Who are we non-believers to question? No, uh, absolutely. The results speak for themselves. Uh, but Ruben Forestello, I suspect, actually does have something to do with Cologne's revival. I've really been an admirer of what he's done um, since he left. Who was he with before? Rafaela. Yes, I think. And then uh, last uh, season on San Martin Juan, he. He did, a, right, yeah. he did a good, a very good job. Uh, yes. He couldn't uh, save San Martin from relegation, but uh, they tried to practice a good, good uh, football, uh, football with no results. But uh, finally, with no results, because they they carry the very bad previous seasons, so uh, they couldn't yeah. uh, 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 finally reach the the, the, the the to stay the in, in Primera División, but. They did a good job. Uh, uh, he did a good job, and, and, and the, the, the team played very, very well. But well, couldn't make it to 
Team, Primera División. No, as, as, as regular listeners will, will know, the Argentine relegation system doesn't necessarily shame managers who come in towards the end of a season and fail to keep the team up. Bizarrely, Forestello's uh, Wikipedia page, which for the benefit of, of because I'm going to have cut a little bit whilst I was typing away on my keyboard, but with San Martin, he was in charge for 13 matches, of which he won seven, drew two, lost four, which is... Not a bad thing. So he came in sort of, well, I guess at this stage of the, the Donnell final six months ago and, and managed those results prior to, to coming to Colón. So not bad considering how poor San Martín were and how much of a basically a lost cause that, that, that that was after uh, Facundo Saba had had a, a fairly disappointing beginning to the season. But Forestero's looking good. I don't know how old he is. Because, I mean, Saba's very young and Saba's a manager we've picked up on Handapod a lot. But Forestero's only... He's 42, so I mean, he's, he's not young whippersnapper Luis Subeldia, who's doing so well for himself at the moment, we're going to get on to that next, uh, but you know, he's, he's got the vast majority, I would think, of his, yes, his managerial so career. Subeldia, I think he retired at 25, so that's why yeah. he, he was a, a very, very young coach, because uh, he, he, is he... He got an injury, didn't he? He broke his shit. I think he said in an interview that he was like bored about playing, and he was more enthusiastic on, on on being a manager, a coach, yeah. and, and that's why he retired so young. Yes, precisely. Um, and of course, uh, what um, most listeners will already know is that Subaldia then took up management. He was made uh, first first team manager in Lanús in the Primera División at 27, making him the youngest manager ever to to uh, manage in a in an Argentine professional league. Entirely unsurprising when you think he was he was 27. Um, he had a couple of years there, and then he went to Emelec, no, he went to Barcelona um, in Ecuador, and then he took up the racing job, and this is where we get on to what's happened this weekend, and uh, last weekend, because last week on Hand of Pod, we were discussing, myself and English Dan, um, were talking about the fact that both Avellaneda clubs had fired their managers, so it's now time to look at who they've brought in, because when we recorded last week, although by the time last week's podcast was online... Independiente had confirmed um, their new manager, but we still didn't know when we recorded last week who it was going to be. Uh, let's deal with Racing. First of all, Racing have named Carlos Ischia as manager. Ischia is the man who Independiente initially wanted to go after themselves, and Ischia said, uh, I don't manage in the lower divisions, I want the Racing job, just to endear himself even more to Independiente fans. The two are, of course, enormous local rivals. Um, I'm saying that more for the benefit of, of my brother than for any hand of pod listeners who will already know about wrestling and independent. Um, so they, they, they've got Ishia, and Dan, you were saying before we started recording that you don't think that that's going to prove a very good I, I think not. Well, for many reasons. One, because um, Racing is a club in crisis, you know, off the field, and it has been for some time. Uh, Ischia... When is it not? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, but particularly at the moment, uh, they're bottom of the table, you know, I'm not sure where they are in the promedio in the uh, in the uh, relegation standings, but it's, it's, it's going to start to look bad for them fairly shortly. Uh, they've, uh, no, I think they're okay because they've got 62 points for last season. season. For this, this season, is one of the okay. peculiar things with, mm. with Subandia's reign, of course, was that last yeah. Season he did absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah. The initial last year 
Racing managed more points than they've managed in 11 years in a mm-hmm. short championship. Um, so for him to fall away and now and be at the point where they've got one point from their opening five matches mm-hmm. is bizarre. But sorry, back to me. No, I'd say he's, he's done very well when he's managed to stay on side of the club administration. When he mm-hmm. was in Ecuador, uh, did a fantastic job at Deportivo de, de Quito. Um, but then for no re- for reasons we're not quite clear about, you know, still not quite clear about, fell out with the club administration and, and departed. So I think he's going to be, he's obviously a difficult man to get along with. So, uh, um, so even if he does produce results on the field, he hasn't got long, you know. We, we, we know that Argentine fans and club owners are, are very, very patience uh, I think he's going to have a very difficult time I'd be surprised if he lasts you know t- towards the middle of the season of the five or six games he's the kind of manager oh, he'll either be a rip-roaring success or he'll be out very very quickly or he'll quit himself it's it, it, like, quite likely yeah, shouting and screaming and blaming everybody else but himself uh, which clubs else has he managed apart from Quito of course he's managed Bo- uh, sorry apart from Deportivo Quito he's managed Boca Juniors um, he was another club in Ecuador um before he went to Deportivo de Quito. One strange thing yeah. about the, the, the contract that uh, is, is just signed with Racing is that uh, usually you you sign a 12-month contract, a one-year contract, yes, yeah. and he signed a 10-month contract, not a, not a, not a one-year contract. Uh, I suppose that takes him to the end of the season, doesn't yes, it? So, yes, yeah, that's so. right. But, uh, anyway, it's, it's, uh, Agremiados is always saying that the trade union uh, that uh, for the players and also the coaches and uh, they always say that the contracts must be at, at least 12 months or one year and and because of yes you, what you said that the the season has already started they they only ca- could sign a 10 year a 10 month contract with each year right? mm. it sounds strange uh, even though that the season has already started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah he, was in, he was in Mexico at the Atlas de Guadalajara before, before he went to Quito. Yes, um, and, and yeah. Boca, as we said, Rosario Central, Atletico mm-hmm. Junior in Colombia, and Gimnasia in Veles. Um, I'm surprised, actually, that I didn't uh, remember Gimnasia because he was there when, yeah. when I came. The, the only impact, really, was at Boca, where he took over an already fairly good team and, you know, reaped the glory there. And well, then he was also uh, he was one of Bianchi's um, assistants mm-hmm. yeah. in, in that gloriously successful uh, Boca side of the first few years of, of the current century um, who clearly deserved absolutely everything they won says the River Plate fan with very highly raised eyebrows beautiful side to watch um, but it's going to be interesting to see how he does with Racing I, I don't know too, I mean the thing is he's not managed in Argentina for well for a good few years and when he did it was it was Boca and a fairly poor central side so I'm struggling really to, to put together too much of, of sort of a, a style for him but it doesn't strike me as much of a continuation with okay Suvaldia didn't really have a style as such it was just throw everything at the opposition and hope something stuck and none of it did this season um, he strikes me as a bit more conservative though definitely it, not that it's hard to be more conservative than Suvaldia we should point out mm. if you have any kind of plan then you're more conservative than Luis Suvaldia I'm reading today 22 managers in 11 years was it 11 managers in 22 years? Well, 11 for Racing. For Racing, yeah. I think 22 and 11. 22 and 11 years, accurate, isn't yeah. it? Uh, I mean, for a club looking to rebuild for continuity, um, to pick a manager who I think has a bit of a temper on him um, and isn't known for his, uh, you know, his pragmatism is, 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 is a risky one. No. Um, what next do we think for... for we, we got asked this question towards the end of the last podcast, uh, so I'm now going to put it to, to some fresh ears, perhaps not to... So Wilkes has got no idea who he is. Um, but what next do we think for Luis Suveldia, who, due to his 
throw everything at the opposition and hope something sticks approach. I'm going to now dub the, the Jackson Pollock of managerialism. It does seem to be the way, doesn't it? If you you know leave a struggling club in Argentina... Particularly if you're an Argentine yeah, manager. Yeah, exactly. Rebuild your reputation somewhere like Ecuador, Mexico... Um, and then come back, yeah, perhaps to manage one of the big five, yeah. you know, with, with a, you know, when people have forgotten your, you know, at least uh, the memory has faded a little of your, your previous time in Argentina. The so thing is, I, no I don't harm. think any of us would be really surprised if he turned out one day to be a very mm. decent manager, because mm. although he's now been managing for six years, almost, and has just had this, well, not even disastrous entire spell, actually really a very good spell in terms of the points won compared with matches played, this disastrous beginning to this season of Racing, he is still not quite yet 33 years old. Mm. Like, I, I think he's, he's still younger. Anybody else at his age hasn't even started their managerial career yet. So to say that he's up and coming even seems a bit unfair. Mm. And he's already managed three uh, very decent sized clubs. I think he, he knows about the game, he knows about uh, uh, strategy, tactics. Mm. Uh, because he, when, he, when you, you listen to him, Speaking about uh, football, uh, you you realize he knows about it, but well, he he seems to have problems communicating. Yes, he didn't get the results, but uh, I I always remember Manuel Pellegrini, who uh, was uh, sacked for uh, from River, and he was like not in a very good way, and, and now he's in Manchester City, mm. having uh, he was coached from for Real Madrid and also Malaga, with uh, having a very good uh, performance. Uh, well, you never uh, know which club he can he can uh, manage, but I think he knows about uh, the, the the game. But perhaps players are not uh, uh, don't understand him. That's uh, mm. perhaps a point. Uh, and uh, Racing re- recently have uh, banned some uh, uh, youth players because of discipline or behavior oh, right, yeah. problems, yeah, and uh, that's not a, a Subeldia problem. That's something that goes. Uh, Apart from the from the pitch, and and it perhaps suggests as well that some of Racing's young players are perhaps not being coached in the youth divisions by coaches with perhaps a level of discipline that they should be, which does feed into the first team because they've got a bunch of kids, particularly in the attack in the first team, who are 19, 20 years old. So they've got, they've been being coached by by these these guys. I, I'm hypothesising completely, for all I know. The, the reason that, that this bunch of kids have been suspended is entirely the kids' fault. But you'd have to sort of look at it and think, well, who are the adults who are coaching them right. and, and instilling this mentality? Looking back at the structure of the club, you know, and it's obviously a club riddled with problems, harassing, in the same way that River were, perhaps still are. And I think, you know, those off, those off the field problems manifest themselves on the pitch. And I think we're seeing that at Racing. You also have to look at the managers who turned the job down before Ishia took it. I mean, Claudio Borghi is a, you know, Borghi is a, is a fine example, an astute, yeah. an astute character, uh, was in the running for the job and looked at the conditions and said, not for me, mate. And He's no, been burned before by yeah. an Argentine big club, of course. Exactly, this time and I think you know when he made that decision. You know, I think it, it, it told us a lot, really, about yeah. the running of Racing, the conditions that were being offered to whoever took over the jobs. So. And there was also the, the the quote that English Dan mentioned uh, last week on the pod from Marcelo Bielsa, who, when we recorded last week, had already been phoned up by Racing. <laughs> Shoot for the moon, and if you miss, you'll fall among the stars, as they say. Because uh, Bielsa, I doubt they could have possibly gone for anybody more ambitious. Perhaps they could have tried to steal Mourinho away from Chelsea. <laughs> um, who, who said to them, well, you say you've got this big project that you're trying to sell me, and yet you've just sacked your manager after four matches, and basically piss off, and then slam the phone down on them. Um, 
Marcelo Bielsa, perhaps not, not a, a, a difficult man to irritate if you're a football club chairman, but a very, I think, somebody who all of us would listen to in, in terms of his opinions on, on how, you, how you should run a side um, and, and build for the future. And Racing is it's a shame in a way because Racing have this fantastic youth system at the moment. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't seem to be being particularly well managed as an institution. Speaking of which, as we mentioned uh, several minutes ago now, um, there is another Amishinay, the club. We've also hired a new manager since since we last recorded. That manager is Omar De Felipe, and the club are Amishinay. Uh, Amishinay. <laughs> How many of these? United, yeah. I'm not even finished the first one out yet. The club are Independiente, um, sometimes known as Independiente de Avellaneda, entirely incorrectly. Um, they're playing in the B Nacional. They've now played five matches because they've played another one since we last recorded. What happened in that match? They drew. Nil nil, meaning they've played five matches without a win. This is where my lovely little brother comes in because he was in Mendoza. He was watching in a bar at the weekend, avidly, and hoovering up all of the Argentine football knowledge that he could. Uh, William is now going to explain to us exactly why Independiente were playing Independiente at the weekend. Well, well I must say, I wasn't watching in a bar, and I wasn't watching all of the game. But oh, I, you mentioned the barman when you explained it to no, me. No, and the receptionist at the hostel, but um, he was an Independiente Mendoza fan. And, in fact, he spent... Most of the time trying to explain to another English couple the um, rules on the relegation. And, and why did he have to explain that one? I think that's slightly more complicated than... than but that. you were telling me that you, you tried and failed. I which, started to. And which uh, is an older brother is one of the nicest <laughs> things I've ever heard. To, to hear that my little brother's actually paid some kind of enough attention to even attempt to explain the Argentine relegation I, system to someone. I started to and I think that he was a better teacher at that subject than I. Yes, possibly unsurprisingly. Um, particularly if he's a, a, a fan of a club who's ever been anywhere near a relegation zone in Argentina. Um, the reason, of course, that Independiente are playing Independiente is because there's another club in Mendoza. As, as listeners who were listening a couple of years ago when River Plate were in the B uh, will remember, uh, called Independiente Rivadavia de Mendoza, um, who play in a lovely little boutique stadium, although this match um, was in the Doble Vicera, as it's not really called anymore because it's not really the same stadium anymore, is it? The, the Libertadores de America, uh, home of, of actual Independiente. Um, did anyone catch it? Apart from Will? No. Neither of you did. Uh, and I, I caught most of it, um, but Will, I'll let you give your opinion of the match first. From what I saw of, this, of the second half, or parts of the second half, it was a fairly mundane game. I saw a couple of chances go wide. Um, but I would say that the Mendoza fan was fairly content, and that would say something to me about the fact that they just played a team that have come down and he was not that fussed whether mm. he, he sort of thought oh maybe we'll win this and I think that's I don't I don't know much about it so I would imagine that he would have been expecting to lose under those well, circumstances normally to give you comes down. To give you some idea of the history well do you know when the last time proper independiente were in the second division was a long time ago it was the 19 19- let me get this right. It was the 1912 to 1913 season. Yeah, that was right. when they won promotion, and they've never been down since. Um, if any listeners are listening and thinking, but Independiente have never been in the second division before, this is because, of course, in Argentina, whenever you hear that kind of thing, it always means 
in the professional era, which means since 1931, which bizarrely for Argentines means we've never been, we haven't been in, we weren't, we, we didn't play in the 1930 World Cup final, in my opinion, which is a weird thing to say. Um, but yes, uh, both River and Independiente, and indeed everybody else in the Argentine League, apart from Boca Juniors, earned their place in the first division. Boca were voted into it. As, as lots of River fans will, will never tire of telling you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it leaves Independiente after five matches with three draws and two defeats. It was almost De Felipe's first game in charge, and I'd love to say that it. it it's, uh, I, I like De Felipe as, as, a, as a person, as a manager. He's, he's managed uh, Quilmes and, and Olimpo, um, the Bahia Blanca, before he took both of them out of this division and into the Primera, which is why I think, uh, particularly, that he's a very good appointment for Independiente. Um, Handapod, of course, generally has talked many times before about our support for Javier Cantero as, as Independiente president in his his battle against the Barra Brava um, of, of the club. Not always a successful battle, it has to be said, but it's admirable that somebody is, is trying to do this, at least. Um, but he's perhaps not always made the best footballing appointments, as he himself has, has recognised at, at times. Um, and perhaps I think if, if, there's a, if there was previously an attitude at Independiente of thinking, we're too big for this division, you know, kind of trying to be the Billy Big Balls and, and just saying, we're a big five club, we've won more Copa Libertadores than anyone else in the history of the South American club championship, um, we're far too glorious to be down in the second division. As Ishio himself put it before taking the racing job, I don't manage lower division sides. If there was that kind of attitude at Independiente, it's now gone well and truly out the window with the appointment of De Felipe. They've said, right, we just want somebody who's proven to be... He's not going to take them up and then get them challenging for the title straight away, but he's proven with his previous appointments that that if he's given the right chances um, and if he's given the backing of the board, he will take them back into into the Primera. Albeit... It might not be this season the way they've started. Um, I, I think it's a, I think it's a very positive appointment for the, for the reasons you've mentioned. This is a man who knows the lower divisions. He knows the grassroots of the game. He studied the, he studied football in Argentina. And I think it's an interesting contrast with Ishia in, in Racing. They couldn't be more different. I suspect that De Felipe is a man who's going to get on with Cantera and the, and the administration at Independiente. And How much right, longer they, that counts yeah. for is, is a moot point. Cantera is almost certainly going to be out oh, by the end well, of the year. Possibly, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a long-term it's a long-term mm-hmm. appointment, and I think it's you know it's a very noble uh, appointment that should be supported in a league where impatience is the you know one of the major kind of elements. So, uh, I hope he laughs. You know, I hope he does well. He will yeah. rebuild the team for the long-term future. And I have a strong suspicion we might see the two teams passing one another at some stage. I've seen going down independently, shooting up, and uh, you know, I've, I've got no, you know, loyalty either way. But I suspect seeing those two decisions, I think that's the way. You know, if, if either those, those two managers laugh, that's the way it could go. Mm. It would be a big, a big problem for for just for Cantero if. if uh, the Felipe can't uh, manage independently to go uh, up because uh, I think they are play, they are paying three three coaches at the same time because the, I yes. think that they still have to pay Gallego the uh, previous manager also the previous, of course previous, the previous, previous for the previous, yeah. yes and Brindisi and now is obviously Omar de Felipe so mm. uh, things must be improved uh, quickly because. Uh, if there, there were only five, uh, four, four uh, rounds, but uh, or five, I don't. Five, five, five rounds, yeah. three, uh, three draws and two defeats. And, and the tournament is, is long because it's 38 uh, rounds it's, uh, uh, instead of 19 like uh, the Primera División. But uh, 
eh, when you uh, have a start like independiente you see only clouds and you don't yeah. see the, the way out and, and well that the Felipe will be I think it will be a fresh like fresh air for, for the squad for, for the supporters and well they are expect uh, 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 with the expectation for, for him to finally find the results because the only thing that matters in Fútbol Argentino and for Independiente right now is results uh, yeah. playing badly uh, in a good way or, or or more or less or so so or but uh, the the only thing that matters is obviously uh, and more for independence is the the results and absolutely they, yeah. they've got time 38 games yes. as you yes. say is, yes. is going to give you know you know it's going to give him time to to rebuild the team one game is not enough to judge him on so I, I think no. you know we could uh, if it were the 19 game especially league, one game yeah. with two days updates exactly, exactly so um, yeah. but I'm reminded listening to you two talk about one of the things that Brindisi said about two weeks ago. Uh, when he was still manager, of course, but was already coming under an enormous amount of, uh, of pressure. Unfortunately, I, I completely forgot to, to fact-check this uh, after he said it, but he said last season, after whatever, like seven or eight or nine rounds, uh, Central were fourth or fifth and bottom, and they ended up winning the division by putting together a record, you know, second division record run of, of wins in a row. I think it was something like 15 wins out of 17 matches with two draws or something stupid like that. Basically half the season unbeaten. And, and they won the division. And so Brindisi was saying, you know, OK, we, I know we've got a bad start. We're just, you know, tranquilo. Uh, and I think Brindisi always realised as well that, that he perhaps wasn't really the man to, to take the club forward. He was trying as, as best he could in, in a, a division that he'd never managed before. Um, in much the same way as a couple of weeks ago when I was, I was attacking Walter Perazzo, the man who managed to get one of the most talented Argentina under-20 sides uh, of, of recent years, which is saying a lot, to uh, not qualify for the under-20 World Cup. And uh, Santiago and Joel, uh, a couple of weeks ago, pointed out to me that club management is, is different from international management. Second division management is different from Primera management. Um, although Brindisi, perhaps slightly too old to do it in the Primera still, um, the other thing to point out in that division is that all the big clubs are gone. They got promoted last season. Rosario, well, Gimnasia, uh, River are gone. I mean, who's that? Huracan? Huracan won on Friday. They, yeah. they beat Ferro. Who are the contenders? You but, know, who are the... By the way, for listeners, if you look up uh, Ferro's goal in that match, he finished 2-1 to Huracan. Ferro's goal, which, which made it 1-1. I'm not sure exactly how, how long into the game it was, but it was fantastic. Uh, but Huracan's win actually put Huracan in a promotion spot for the first time since they got relegated. <laughs> Which they, they, This is their third season in the B. Um, and of course, when they first went down, we were recording on Hand of Pod and talking about the risk that they were going to drop straight through. Look at the the symmetry here with, with looking at Independiente's position. I think another one to look at is Ferro. And when did Ferro get relegated? Some time ago. They're another big club that really shouldn't have been languishing in the in the bay for as long as they have been. But I think the Ferro could be as more or less the, their natural level. Now, now it's become that way. But when they went down, I don't think it was at all. They were a team with history. They were you know, potentially a big club, a huge fan base. We've, we've mentioned um, many times before, of course, because they're uh, very long-term. Let's not remember Australian Dan, who was a Ferro fan. Mm. How Federal have been champions of Argentina on two exactly, occasions, yeah, but I think, yeah, they've, I yeah. think they've spent more seasons in the in the B than in the. Mm, but the crumbling, crumbling stadium, you know, it's a, it's a disaster. I mean, all through bad administration, you know, it really is a very badly run club, and uh, 
uh, languishing in the bay as long as they have done for that reason, I think. And I think it's a, a very poignant warning for, the, for those who are running independiente. You know, it's, uh, I would certainly agree with that. Uh, back to the Primera, because there's one match at least that we really should talk about, which we haven't mentioned yet. Can anybody... I think, I think Boca, Boca uh, Vélez, yeah. Bo- uh, well, that wasn't quite the one I was talking about. No, Boca, no. Boca Juniors did beat Vélez, Southfield, mm. 2-1. Uh, in in a, a not bad match. Annoyingly, Boca seemed to be looking good at home again now. Mm. They're, they're still shit away. I'm going to hang on to that. Um, and the newspapers, are, as they always they do... I mean, they've not beaten yeah. anybody particularly impressive in Vélez. But the Boca win was, was you know, there's a kind of a whole new dawn as far as the media is concerned. Mm. You know, one game, Gago, you know, apparently played very, very well. So, yeah. Um, I mean, it's an interesting one. Again, it's, you know, to judge them on one Rid- game Rid- is excessive. But, uh, Rid-Ay Rodriguez mm. scored his first goal in Argentine football mm. and it was... Playing as a, a centre-back. Yeah, you're right. Uh, he's normally a number five, of course, a defensive midfielder. But he was playing, uh, basically... <laughs> It shows you how pissed off Bianchi's got with, with the centre-backs that he had, because uh, he benched Matias Caruso. We, we spent some of, of last week's podcast discussing, so who's going to be Daniel Diaz's centre-back uh, partnership? Caruso, someone else, none of us said Ribeiro Rodriguez. Uh, but he scored from, from an indirect uh, free kick, whipped in by uh, Juan Sanchez Mino, I think it was, from the right wing. The free kick was won after 14 seconds of the match, and uh, Rodriguez's header hit the net about 52 seconds. And now he's being discussed in, in the Boca. I think Boca supporters are discussing, or, or perhaps also Bianchi, uh, about Riquelme, if he's, also, he's that necessary for, for, the, yeah. for the team or not. I'm open mouth in astonishment. Boca Juniors fans are. Uh, mm. So I, I read that, I read that today as well. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, circumstances led to some of the team choices, some of the you know positioning, uh, the fact that Akira was not there, wasn't in the team, the wasn't in the team and, and, they, and they played extremely well. And Gago fitted in yeah. perfectly. I mean, Gago obviously very diplomatically has said, like, "Of course, I'm going to play wonderfully with Riquelme. May. We're going to be a wonderful partnership." We should but, clarify but, that it was Gago's first uh, start. Yeah, since yeah. He's and, and, was, and was very impressive. Uh, but you know, is Riquelme? I mean, it's getting on a bit. Riquelme is you know, is it? Too much emphasis on one player. Riquelme has a bad game, Boca has a bad game. It's always uh, the risk when you play so much yeah. on, on any engancha. Yeah. And the fact that everything goes to Riquelme, this is a team with much more variety without Riquelme, yes, what some are saying. What he said is that uh, when Riquelme is on the pitch, uh, the, all the, the other players are like obliged to, to, to give the ball to him, and, mm. and, and that is a bit. Well, if Riquelme is not, uh, is not in a good uh, uh, afternoon, uh, he. Uh, can uh, he perhaps make the, the the team to go lower in the, in the performance and yeah. and uh, uh, as was the criticism after say the the two thousand and six World Cup quarter final for instance yeah. when it was you know everybody basically playing for Kelme for the fact that Argentina went out against Germany in that match because he he played like crap and therefore mm. the team played like crap. Um, I, think I, there's, I think there's something in that argument as well, you know. It's, I mean, it's great when you have a bunch of average players and you've got, you know, Riquelme there, but if you're going to start bringing in some half decent players and one or the other former team, you know, you can't, there is life without Riquelme, you know. Mm-hmm. Perhaps it's time to start uh, building, you know. Perhaps, the they should be, perhaps they should be looking, I'm, I'm only going to mention this, this one very briefly, but perhaps they should be looking to Estudiantes for. Um, for inspiration on that front because if there's any one player who overshadows a club quite as much as Juan Roman Riquelme overshadows Boca Juniors it's another Juan Sebastián Verón overshadowing Estudiantes 
He's been out injured now for a couple of matches. Actually, I don't think he was injured as such for uh, the weekend's match. He had a stomach complaint, which kept him from training during the week. He's just old, isn't he? He just can't get out of his chair. Well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, after a year playing, yeah. li- literally playing Sunday League football, mm. as, as we said at the beginning of the season, uh, my brother's played Sunday League football. He's, he's very good at football, but can you imagine lining up against <laughs> Juan Sebastián Meron? I mean, OK, you're a right-back, well, so maybe it wouldn't be as much of a problem for you, but... No, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a bit of a jumping quality, wouldn't it? Yeah, slightly. I don't think I've got the fitness at the moment. But Estudiantes, all of a sudden, they've sold Duván Zapata. Uh, I won't exactly say at the start of the season. They sold him about a week and a half ago to, to Napoli, eventually, but they've not been using him since the first round. We were saying, well, if they let Zapata go, who on earth is going to score all their goals? Guido Carrillo can score goals, it turns out, and now so can Leandro de Sabato. And a third of this, Leandro de Sabato scoring goals. Um... He scored a fair few, in fact, from set pieces and whatnot, but a very creditable 1-1 draw with Newell's. Um, the Sabato's equaliser came two minutes into stoppage time, but Estudiantes managed more shots, more shots on target, and more shots from sort of inside the box from really decent uh, positions than Newell's did. And, OK, Newell's were perhaps slightly leggy. They, they'd had to play last Tuesday to, to catch up their match in hand against Gimnasia, which they looked very impressive in. And a Newell's win, I don't think, would have been entirely unfair, but it's un- undeniable that Estudiantes more than merited a draw. Um, I mean, you talking about getting a draw away to Newell's, who are head and shoulders, I think we can still say, the best club, in, in, in the best team yeah. in the country. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I was wanting to talk as well about Estudiantes and, and how well they've done. They didn't have their on at the weekend. They managed this fantastic result. As we say, they've, they've got players who can score goals, which we have no idea they had. OK, they've also got Patricio Rodriguez, who's perhaps not so much of a... A plus point for them, um, although he did manage an absolutely magnificent cross for De Sabato, falling over, uh, having having sort of cut it back onto his wrong foot. Um, he was being dragged off the pitch almost by the neck by the fullback who was marking him, and as he was falling over, he sort of dinked in this right-footed cross, which should have gone somewhere back towards the centre circle the way he hit it, but it just curled straight onto De Sabato's head to head in at the far post. Um, so when even Patricio Rodriguez is is doing meaningful things for you as a football team, you're on the up. Yeah, so you think uh, it's a distinct, are, a distinct philosophy to kind of you know form a team beyond Veron, you know, a team that doesn't yeah. rely solely on him. So. The thing is, I didn't really see it coming. I mean, we've been discussing for the last two years on this podcast why do Estudiantes have such a good team on paper when it just wasn't they weren't performing at all on the pitch and now all of a sudden okay they're, they're only six but they're only two points off the lead it, it's still a very tight lead table we've got as we say Newell's on 11 three, three teams behind them on 10 one of whom are your Argentinos side done and then Arsenal Estudiantes San Lorenzo Boca Quilmes on, well, on nine three, points three points separate the top ten exactly yeah, and, the table, so and Estudiantes are one of the three sides Arsenal and Newell's being the other two who are still unbeaten and it has a, a a, a also a good potential coach like Pellegrino who has yeah. been uh, as a, assisting the uh, Rafael Benitez in, in Liverpool I think uh, I yes yeah, yeah you're right uh, so well uh, he has European experience uh, even though he wasn't the the, the main coach mm. he he has some like touch European touch and, and I think that at, at least potentially he's a a good coach and now perhaps he's Starting to demonstrate mm-hmm. that uh, with more solid team with uh, Estudiantes. Now he did start in a, a perhaps with a, a, as we always say the, with the good results, but now he's uh, perhaps uh, being a bit higher. And, well, 
Absolutely. Um, to round up the other results from the weekend, we've not mentioned Racing's result, funnily enough. We mentioned the new manager, but they lost 1-0 away to All Boys. Uh, that was obviously the, uh, the second match uh, which uh, Fabio Radaeli, the, the reserve team manager, was in charge of because Ishii has only taken charge since uh, when he took charge the day before the match, but obviously he wasn't the, the official manager for that game. Um, the first of those matches that Radaeli was in charge of was the second leg against Nanus in the Copa Sudamericana last... Thursday or Wednesday night, which was recorded. Sorry, it was played after after the last time the pod was recorded. Uh, Lanús won that two 0 for a four one aggregate victory. Uh, Lanús managed another impressive win last night, three 0 against Olimpo. Two goals in about two minutes, just at the point in the second half when Olimpo were looking like getting an equaliser. Um, fantastic fortuitousness from Lanús, if nothing else. Um, with a particularly good one from Ismael Blanco, uh, who ridiculously deep cross from somewhere near the halfway line from Velasquez, Maxi Velasquez, uh, the, the the left back and Blanco just sort of it, it was as if a magician waving a wand. It was that kind of actually just sort of waved his right foot at it at about head height and it suddenly it was in the back of the net. It was uh, astonishing. There we've mentioned Colón against Central, haven't we already? Yes, two one and the only remaining match, the best match of the weekend, possibly the best match of the season so far. Belgrano de Córdoba versus Atlético Rafaela. Rafaela, this was a game as well, which was one of my Twitter followers uh, put afterwards to me, um, that watching that match, especially because it was taking place at exactly the same time as all of everybody else on my Twitter timeline was going on about the transfer deadlines in, in Europe, who's signing who, everybody was getting enormously excited about this, and I was watching this game and it was so much more entertaining. Um, and yet, both of these sides, prior to, prior to yesterday afternoon, were shit. They haven't played a anything interesting worth watching in the whole season Rafaela go 1-0 up in the 17th minute they go 2-0 up with a phenomenal goal from Andres Rodales from about 30 yards bullet shot into the top corner after the um, after 37 minutes 2-0 up cruising 5 minutes after that Ezequiel Maggiolo gets one back for Belgrano and you think "Eh, hmm, whatever Belgrano go on to win 3-2 Maggiolo equalises in the uh, very early in the second half and then Luciano Lolo puts uh, Belgrano ahead um from a rebounded penalty um, with uh, 20 minutes to go. Both sides hit the woodwork in the last 10 minutes. Both sides hit the underside of the crossbar. I mean, literally one of those where if they just hit it sort of a millimetre further around the crossbar, it might want to bounce down over the line. Um, Federico Gonzalez got sent off for, for Rafaela, who finished the game with 10 men. It had everything. Absolutely magnificent match. You're going to tell me that, that neither of you saw it now, aren't you? Didn't see it, no. <laughs> Yes. And it's not immediately an attractive game to, you know. It's not it's, at all, it's, is it? It's not one of those that kind of draws you in somehow. The only reason I watched it was I was feeling guilty about not having seen Arsenal Argentinos. Right. So if if you have watched the, the, the first half of, of that match, you may have thought that uh, Belgrano was not more the, no, the team, yeah. the solid, the, 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 the hard uh, team that the, uh, was in the uh, in the tournament initial because mm. uh, uh, Rafaela was easily uh, going from defence to, yeah. to attack and... Yeah. and, and and dangerously, and uh, Belgrano finally could uh, turn over the, the results. Uh, but uh, uh, Cesar Pereira, the, 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 the striker for Belgrano, said today that they were for the cachetazo. Uh, mm. he, they were very, very complicated because uh, uh, they were not playing very good. And no, so it, was, it was Belgrano's first win of the season. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes, and uh, they saved from from uh, staying in the last uh, position, the bottom of the. Of the, of the positions table. Indeed they are. Um, those positions are now filled by Racing and Olimpo, the only two sides left 
who have yet to win a match. Uh, one week ago we had four sides who had yet to win a match, but Belgrano managed to win, and the other were uh, Godoy Cruz, I think. Um, no. Who were they? Can't remember. Anyway, whatever. Oh, all boys, of course. All boys managed to win against Racing. 1-0. Uh, the only other thing that I'm going to mention before we go to a very short break while we recharge our glasses and, and uh, have a piss um, is that Kilmes 1-0 win away to Tigre was managed without Kilmes actually having a shot on target. Uh, Norberto Paparato Explain yourself. Norberto Paparato, Tigre's defender, uh, centre-back, scored an own goal. Um, so Kilmes, Kilmes managed to win in spite of the fact that I think they had something like Tigre dominated the game. I, I, I didn't see it, but the stats afterwards that I saw... Uh, Kilmes had something like three shots off target none on target Tigre had about ten off target and five on target or something like that it, it was just stupid um, as a result of which we've now got Tigre still down in 15th four points five matches and like it, like I saw Tigre last week against Argentinos and they were absolutely lacking any kind of yeah. ideas uh, anything at all you know they were one of the dullest teams I've seen for a long time you know absolutely nothing <laughs> and you nothing watch Argentinos so. Juniors I will I, I, I defend <laughs> Argentinos Juniors you know um, played extremely, surprisingly good football Argentinos Juniors you, you so. can perhaps uh, give us an answer to something that we were discussing last week actually Dan um, which was what on earth going on with Argentinos no actually we're going to do this later because we've been asked a question about it um, so now I'm going to, we're going to take a very short break. We'll be back after this short musical interlude um, to answer a few listeners' questions. And then, of course, after that, we will have a very quick discussion about the Argentine national side's chances of getting some kind of a result from the Defensores de Chaco in Paraguay uh, next Tuesday, isn't Tuesday, it? Yeah. Tuesday, the 10th, whatever the 10th yeah. is. had just a few questions this week, um, which is fine, it helps us to keep the, the recording uh, nice and, and brisk. Uh, we had one yesterday somewhere, I think. Oh, we had a couple, uh, yeah, just yesterday from uh, Phil Carney, and then a guy called Alex has also chipped in. Uh, Phil asks, is Maxi Velasquez, who I mentioned, sorry, well, yeah, let's go for that. Is Maxi Velasquez, who I mentioned uh, just earlier, the guy who set up Ismael Blanco's goal for Lanús um, yesterday, on Monday night, um, the most underrated left-back in the league? He says, admittedly not the best defensively, but he's consistent, consistently dangerous down the left, and his free kicks always seem to cause problems for opposition defences. I'm going to clarify this, by the way, and big up Phil a bit by saying that he said that about 20-25 minutes before uh, Maxi Velasquez hit this, this cross which Blanco just turned into the net. Um, Alex has then also put that he'd make a case for Araujo being underrated, not only as a right-back, but as a player in general. He's been fantastic, and many fans agreed last week that he's been our best player so far. Very skilled with the ball for a right-back. Both of these basically are Lanús, left-back and right-back. Um, discuss, gentlemen. Maxi Velasquez and uh, Carlos Araujo. Future national team material? Um, I think that they, they, they go silently, and they... Uh, well... Uh, now is uh, Velázquez uh, has uh, her, his more distinctive uh, uh, skill is the obviously the, the, the 
the shoot, a long range shoot, or the wall, in this case, the crosses. Uh, he used to be in the previous uh, phase for, for Lanús, I think, because then he went to, I don't know if he went abroad, and then he, he was playing for Independiente, uh, and well, he's a, he's a good uh, skilled uh, third uh, uh, left uh, defender, but uh, I know if he's underrated, perhaps a... Uh, uh, he played for... No, he's yeah. never left Argentina. Uh, Ferro, <laughs> who we were mentioning earlier, coincidentally. Uh, then Tacheres de Córdoba, uh, Lanús, Independiente, and then back to Lanús. Uh, there we go. He's older than I thought he was. 32. He's really young. This time has passed. So maybe they deliberately underrate them so that the uh, European clubs are going to come and snap them away. So good the other thing is, it's very alone. easy to be un- underrated as a non-attacking player, particularly mm. when you're at a club like Lanús. Um, who A, play very attacking football, meaning that the attacking players come more into the limelight, and B, they're not a big club. Mm. Um, so it perhaps gives, gives the players who aren't in those, those sort of prime positions and being picked off by the grandest, it gives them a bit more time perhaps to develop. We had Guido Pizarro, for instance, at Lanus last season. He's now gone to... Oh, I've done it again. I've gone into that sentence without being able to remember who he signed for. Atlante or somebody in Mexico, Monterrey or somebody like that. Um, who was playing very much the number five, a holding midfielder, creative holding midfielder. Um, players further back the pitch tend to perhaps be a bit right. less... Do you think Noose is exactly the kind of club that foreign scouts will go to, though? So they've got a good use system. Oh, foreign scouts are absolutely... Yeah, I've, I've so been to Lanus with... Very difficult. It's a well-run club, isn't scouts. it? It's a very well-run club, Lanus. So, um, you know, comparatively speaking, in Argentinian terms. Um, and it's, uh, you know... You know, it's difficult to be underrated at the news, I would have thought, because there are people watching. You know, yeah. uh, I think anywhere in the Primera, really, especially the mm-hmm. last well five years or, or, or so, particularly. But I guess we always say about a decade ago, clubs suddenly, European clubs suddenly seem seem to start realise, hang on, why are we going to pay eight million euros for this guy from River Plate when we could go to Banfield and get him straight from Source for three million? Um, since when they, they've been doing precisely that? I think Lanús is a kind of club that. Uh, even though they are, uh, as, as you said, uh, for since five years ago, it's a thing that is always up. It's always uh, 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 with possibilities to to take the the, the, the championship. Uh, uh, that there there are certain players that certain players that can only uh, uh, good it, uh, uh, do it good in a, in in that club. Yes, yeah. yeah. it depends yeah. on the. Surroundings. Mario Regueiro is a good yes. example. He's gone. He was brilliant at Lanús, the Argent, uh, Uruguayan. Uh, he's about 32, 33. He's no spring chicken. Uh, he's superb in Lanús for a couple of seasons. He's moved to Racing this season, and he must be wishing he'd just stayed at Lanús. He's, he's, they've replaced him more than ably with huh, another sentence I've begun without knowing the the conclusion to it because I've forgotten the name. Um, give me a second. They have replaced him more than ably with... Oh, Lucas Milano, in fact, was, was last night. He played fairly poorly. Um, coming up on, on, on the left. But also Lavdar Acosta, who they've signed from, from Boca. Um, and a whole bunch of players from, from their new side, as well as Christian Chavez, of course, is, is also from Boca. He didn't get onto the pitch last yeah, night. Yeah, three, um, three uh, former Boca players. The Acosta, yeah. Silva and, uh, and Chavez. Yeah. Uh, um, and, oh, oh, with, of course, Silva... You, you show Silva, Silva, as the manager, yes. so... And Silva scoring two goals, uh, the first match for Lanús, after uh, uh, having gone from from Boca uh, with uh, well, uh, uh, the, the discussion for uh, that Bianchi didn't want him, and then he was like uh, taking revenge for uh, the, the the how he 
the, the when after he scored the goal and how he celebrated it. Yes, yeah. Uh, and well, but Lanús has that particularity that uh, uh, there are players that uh, go there and and it's like they are lighter and mm. and, and can uh, uh, can play be, uh, better than in the, the the club they were before. I know if, if if because they really wanted to go there or they weren't went, wanted to lay, leave the the former club, but uh, well, and, and Maxi Velázquez is a good player, a medium good player. I don't know if underrated, but uh, uh, that, he, that he's a, a, a perfect player for Lanús, I think. Yeah, I think it was the manager the manager finding his feet as well, learning the That's trades. Uh, yeah. I think they could really could be a club to watch, couldn't they? They've got some good, you know, good solid players, and uh, so gets into his stride. Until know. they started drawing too many matches mm. in the sort of set last third of last uh, in the Donnell final, that they were pushing uh, Newells. Really, I won't say River and Newells because although River only finished three points off the off the pace, they were never really in with a chance. Um, they're pushing Newells for for the title. Uh, Joshua Bramlett asks, uh, "Will we ever see an American play in Argentina?" Funny you should ask. We we have done. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, there were a Mexican uh, player. Oh, well, we've had Americans. Alberto Garcia, Aspe, Mexican, not American, Mike, but Michael Oshos. Well, yes, Michael he Oshos was born was in the U.S. Arrested Development fans will like me saying he was born a few miles south of Disneyland. Um, he actually wasn't, but he was born very, very close yeah, to it. He was born in California. Ferro had a South African. Yes, uh, Boca had a South African, right? Chama. Yes. Um, in the mid 90s as well. Uh, Michael Oshos, born in Fountain Valley, United States, uh, is now playing for. Oh, according to his wiki, he's still with Estudiantes, but I thought he'd sign for someone else. Um, fairly recently uh, he's only 22 and he's got a brother called Kevin both parents are Argentine but they were both born in the United okay. States and um, did a lot of their growing up there Joel uh, has interviewed Michael Oshos and says that his English is just I mean like ours I'm, well obviously he speaks American English and with an American accent but it's, it's, it's completely fluent he only moved down here when he was about 13 or 14 um, so we do have an American playing here also Tigre had a Reserve. I'm not going to say substitute because I think he was maybe third or fourth choice goalkeeper about four or five years ago. Who was who was from the states? So they signed him on loan for some from some MLS club or um, uh, USL one club or, or something. Um, so believe it or not, it's happened. Um, whether we're going to get more coming down here, maybe on loan spells to try and improve as players, or not, I don't know. It, it's a good league, obviously, for visibility, as we've been discussing with European scouts. Um, coming to all kinds of clubs especially in the Buenos Aires area I guess that's one reason scouts like it they can come down here and see 50 different clubs <laughs> depending on which level of football they're prepared to go down to uh, without having to travel for more than a couple of hours on public transport uh, Billy Morrison seemed to struggle with getting a decent question in he seemed to think we were an, an Aussie rules podcast for a while <laughs> but eventually he's managed it he says do you guys think River Plate can win the Copa Sudamericana no, I think the only way, the <laughs> only way to respond to that, even though there are two River fans in the room, is to just roundly yeah. laugh at the question. Play like this, it's quite difficult. Yeah. Uh, it's really, really, really a big question mark mm. uh, for me. Yeah. Not least because, as we mentioned last week, as I mentioned last week, there's a Twitter account which claims that Vélez Sarsfield have already bought the Copa Sudamericana from Condeville. We said this last week, we said watch what happens in the second leg, we'll be interested to see because of course Belgrano were 1-0 up on Vélez from the first leg. Uh, what happened in the second leg was that Vélez won 2-0, the, the winner 
the, the aggregate winner, the, the second goal on the night, um, was from a penalty which was... Mm, I mean, I've, I've seen them not given, let's put it that way. Um, and there were several, more than the penalty, I think, which was uh, seen and given, seen and not given. There were a few occasions towards the end of the match particularly when Belgrano could have had calls go the other way, let's say, euphemistically. Um, I still don't want to believe this guy that Vélez actually have bought the title, but he did predict correct scorelines in both legs of the Libertadores final as well, uh, before it had happened. And nothing would surprise me really in South America. It's no, very but too many cons- also there's too many conspiracy Precisely. theories. You know, I'm going to be so support- like, I'm yeah. going to spend the whole Copa Sudamericana yeah. supporting whoever Vélez are yeah. playing against, just in, in the whole... Right. Anything, anything is possible, but also... Every, you know, yes, but you Russian know, supporters so, uh, claimed uh, independiente to have bought the... The, the not relegation yes, and yeah, they, yeah. They, re- they finally went to the national base so yeah, it's yeah, right. very very difficult to to, to uh, verify those mm. indeed yeah. it is we'll, we'll find out if, if Benes actually do win it and this, this same guy has also said is already claiming that uh, Corinthians have paid for next year's Libertadores mm-hmm. so within 12 months we're going to have well I guess within 12 months because when the, when the hell's the Libertadores final going to be played in the World Cup yeah who knows it could be in November sometime um, we're going to have some idea of, of whether there's any credence to, as, as I say, I was following him before the Libertadores final, and he did predict both leg scorelines correctly. Um, Scott Monroe asks, have Genoa have signed uh, Ricardo Centurion from Racing? Is he the type of player who will excel in Italy? Uh, this is another thing that's happened since we last recorded. Ricky Centurion's played his last match for Racing. That was the Sudamericana second leg, the 2-0 defeat to Lanús. Uh, he came on in about the 65th minute or something. He got sent off in the 78th, something like that, for kicking an opponent up in up the arse or something like that. Um, I think he could do very well in Italy, but he really needs to grow up. Uh, this is a player who, who a couple of years ago uh, tweeted a, a picture of himself that he got a mate to take. Uh, of, of himself toting a gun. Um, he's not had the best upbringing. Uh, obviously, he had the, the, the transfer to, to Russia to um, Anzig, wasn't it, uh, in January, which fell through due to a failed medical, and he had to he had to go for ankle surgery from a, a, a congenital condition, as, as English Town always insists on calling it whenever he mentions it. Just, he had to have ankle surgery, and he's not been the same since he came back. He's been back now for what four months or so. Um, and he's looked a completely different player, uh, not not in a positive sense at all. So it's a kind of crunch point in his um, career, really. He's got enormous talent, clearly, but he needs to learn to focus it, in my opinion. I don't know what what you two think. No, I think put very well. I mean, how you know, it's uh, it's one of these these things. You know, it's uh, it, the Italian league is is very very different to the Argentine league. You know, so just for him to find his feet, and it, a lot depends on the on the player's maturity. I think it's uh, in some ways it's going to help. That of course he's going to have plenty of Argentines around him, sure, both yeah. on the yeah. pitch, even even playing for the opposition. Yeah. Um, and no, actually, having said that, I'd better check that Genoa actually do have some Argentine players. He he's a talented player, but uh, uh, perhaps he you as. He was at Racing. He he nobody t- took care of him, and he had bad behavior. At, uh, in Italy, the things will be different, I think, because. Uh, uh, well, they're going to have to be, aren't they? I mean, he's yeah. he's going to be apart from anything else. He's going to be an ocean away from yeah. from his mates and from anybody he can go and cry. Um, having said that, Genoa have got loads of Argentine players. I think I'm getting them confused with with uh, Catania. Uh, they've got one Argentine player who. Mario Santana, anybody before I click through to his page? Who's he played for? Dan, never heard of him? Never heard of him. Andres? Mm. Okay, Andres, who is an actual Argentine, 
I've never heard of Mario Santana. Mario Santana is 31 years old. Uh, ah, yes, he, he was the a former Fiorentina player, and now he's at Catania. Uh, okay. right? Ah, right, so he was with San Lorenzo and left yes. them in 2001, and he's been in Italy since then. Yes, he, he, uh, well, he was at San Lorenzo. He, uh, I, I don't know the, exactly the moment, but he said he would left football, and then, uh, well, finally he changed uh, his mind and... Uh, and, and he, well, he went on player playing, and now he's at, at Catania. But, but he left more than yeah. ten years. Oh, well. Left more than ten years ago, and yeah. he's there's hardly an Italian team he's not played for there, isn't it? Yeah. So looking at the list, it's, and uh, Venezia, Palermo, also Palermo. 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 Palermo for for the national. Oh, did Venezia, Palermo, Kiev, Verona, Palermo, Fiorentina, Napoli, Cesena, and Torino. Torino now apparently not. Uh, well, it says they're Torino, so I'm presuming that Genoa have signed him from Torino, right. in fact. Um, so he's one, and the only other Spanish player, Spanish-speaking player in their squad is Uruguayan Diego Polenta, who I have heard of before. He's only 21, so I'm not quite sure how I've heard of him, because he's only played for Genoa and Bari. Ah, he's played for the Uruguayan youth side a few times, um, which explains it. So Centurion, in fact, perhaps isn't going to find it quite as easy to, <laughs> to, to find people to talk to uh, in his new surroundings as I thought. But he's going to have to as I say to mature apart from anything else if if he can do that then he could go far um, if he can't then it's, it's going to be a, a case of, of wait and see and, and he could turn into another nomad he could turn into one of those players who's back here at the age of 23 and never ends up going to Europe again or problem Mexico. is that he uh, perhaps the, his teammates will uh, ask him or well uh, to, to be more uh, uh, have a more a team Player yeah, team. more involved. Yes, yeah. not so uh, selfish because, uh, well, uh, as, as I have said, uh, uh, I won't deny his his talent, his uh, his skills. But uh, uh, in Italy, I think, I think that they w- they will ask him to to play more for the other players for yeah. the team and not only for him. Uh, that if he can he can adapt himself to to that kind of play, uh, uh, I think that uh, perhaps he he succeeds. But uh, uh, there are a lot of players that that, that uh, uh, go abroad or go from Argentina to Italy, and ha- they uh, say that they they grow up not only as as players but also as as as, yeah. as, uh, as person as a person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Absolutely. He he can, he must do that uh, not only no, totally. as a player but also as a as, as a as a person. In a way, I suppose it's good that a, a player of the surname like Centurion is, is going back to... Good name, yeah. He's got, 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 right got the right name for the job. Um, Tony Gruden, we, I, I mentioned uh, before, Dan, when I kind of cut myself short just before the, the musical uh, break, um, that we had a question about Argentinos, and Tony Gruden's question is, what's, inverted commas, wrong with Argentinos Juniors? Uh, to which I said, just to clarify, because we do sometimes get listeners uh, joking in, in that manner, in what sense do you mean wrong? And he says, top of the table, uh, great defence instead, instead of being bottom dwellers. Can they stay up or is the relegation fight still the only reality? Because, of course, in Argentina we've got two tables and Argentinos Juniors are, as we can see, when I bring it up... Third from bottom. Third yeah. from bottom. Second, uh, second from top. In the four points ahead of Godoy Cruz, who beat yeah. them on the opening day of the season to go mm. two points ahead of them, I think. So that's swung around enormously. But still, uh, one point behind Atletico Rafaela, five behind all boys, uh, who they're playing, of course, this weekend. Mm. Five behind Tigre. Uh, what's five plus 
six, uh, eleven. <laughs> yeah. There we go. I've, I've got GCSE maths uh, behind the Studiantes. Um, I, I think they'll do. Not, I think they'll do it. Enough. On this, on what I've seen so far, I mean, that opening game of the season, Golo Cruz was a disaster. They really hadn't, they hadn't didn't get started. But since then, they've played four games. They've won three, drawn one, and they've not let in a single goal. Yeah. Infuriates yeah. me because Handelpot's favourite mm. goalkeeper, Pablo Migliore, mm. um, is is the man between the sticks. There, the man who shouldn't really be outside jail <laughs> exactly that and he's pushed out a couple of decent goalkeepers in Nerio Fernandes and, and Ojeda who are now sitting on the bench you know, well you say two. decent but also goalkeepers who, who look decent but weren't really performing last season loyal goalkeepers um, I saw you know, Migliori play against uh, Digli and he had one save to make but he made the save he had to make but what he's got is great authority in the, in the, between the sticks you know, he controls the defence when, when there's the yeah. fear, I think mm. was that, you talk about you know how in Manchester United in, in the 1990s, for instance, how, how uh, the various centre backs that, that our team had were all scared shitless of Peter Schmeichel, basically, mm. who would just shout at them. He was an enormous yeah. man, and he would shout. When you've got Pablo Migliore, who's who's got a, a very good friend who's currently in jail for shooting someone in the exactly. head, you're not going to mess. You're not going to mess. That with adds it, yeah. to that fear yeah. factor, yeah. I guess. So I think so. I think it so, helps yeah. the goalkeeper so, to be yeah. to have a command of his he, area. He emanates fear, so it's you know. Don't score against me. When he's called upon to make the saves, he makes he makes the saves. You know. So, but I think the Argent, the Argentinos juniors fans can't quite believe it themselves. I was standing behind the the, um, the Tigre game, the managers, you know, the dugout. And the Argentinos fans are shouting, play some football, play some football, you know, Caruso, get them to play. And they were playing football, you know, but they've got these same old kind of insults towards you know, Caruso Lombardi. In another they way. They can't quite get themselves. And they were passing the ball around, they've got a very solid midfield, very creative midfield. In another way, I wonder whether this is what Tony means by what's wrong with them, because mm. it's a Caruso Lombardi side, and yeah. they're playing, they're not Barcelona. Uh, they're not the Argentine national side, but they're, they're, they're playing stuff that actually what, resembles. There were a few olés being shouted at yeah. the Tigre match. It, you know, they not, really were playing the ball around very can, nicely. You can watch and, Argent- uh, yeah, yeah. Was, now and and I saw some games towards the middle or the beginning middle of last season. They're an absolute disaster. They were the dullest, least imaginative team I've seen for a long time. But this season, they're playing with imagination. They're playing with variety. The set pieces are fantastic. You know, they're actually using the set pieces. Uh, um, it's a team. You know, I'm not sure it's going to go. They'll escape relegation, which is all. They're aiming for. I'm not sure they go much further than that, but uh, um, the youngsters are coming through. It's uh, it's fascinating. But the other thing, standing behind the manager's dugout watching Cruzo Lombardi is such great entertainment. You know, he's uh, the, probably the worst job in Argentine football is to be the fourth official when you're standing near his dugout. I mean, he just yeah. shouts and rants and raves and there's spit flying out of his mouth and, you know, um, because obviously the referee can run away. The fourth official car has got nowhere to run. So this guy is a, is a target. You know, I, I wonder, uh, talking about what a typical Carlos Lombardi side is like and why I can think of something playing that way, whether in some way it's been a good thing for them to lose uh, Anangono Leon, right. um, who I, I very much like as a striker. Uh, I, I enjoy him in isolation for Argentinos last season but it's got to be said that a player who is I mean not particularly big let's say by Northern European or by MLS standards maybe 6'1", 6'2", fairly bulky but not absolutely enormous but in Argentina he looks huge Mm. in comparison particularly when he's black so he stands out a lot more and he's that much easier perhaps for teammates you know you hear about the uh, scouts with the the blonde player effect if they play blonde Mm, on the pitch and they have a fairly decent game they'll stand out more in Argentina that that, that can also be said of of, of black players uh, which in fact we've got another question uh, that's very very loosely related to that um, in just a minute 
Um, the fact that he's not there anymore means that they don't have a target man as such no, to, to no. hit. I mean, I'm, obviously, I'm not only talking about his skin colour, I'm not a, a eugenics apologist. Um, but they, they're, they're having to play a front three Lucas Rodriguez, Hernan Bochero, and Enrique Triverio, who, who's oh. impressed me, perhaps not so much uh, in the last and, match. And the goal was um, being spread around. I mean, the goal, uh, the goal scored last season, I can think have scored seven goals so far in the five games. I think they got to kind of 10 or 12 games last season before they managed to make seven goals. Mm. They scored almost nothing in yeah, the beginning yeah. of the season. So, and I think he put in a huge amount of effort, the Ecuadorian but was very ineffectual. I mean, everything was just blasted in his direction and he really didn't manage to do very much. So, you know, as you said, a good player, but, you know, ineffectual last season. Mm. So, um, I wasn't sorry to see and him go. He was pretty wrongly played. You know, it wasn't he's a bad player. Well, he always thought he was very good team player. His, finish, yeah, his yeah. finishing was generally shocking. The, the, one but of the reasons I remember him was that he, um, Argentinos was playing all boys this weekend mm, in, in yeah. the sort of demi-classical, let's call it. Um, and the last one of those I was at, uh, and he scored the only goal of the game, and he did it very, very well by sort of barging through the, the last line of defence onto, onto a through ball and slotting it away from a narrow angle. Um, and I suppose that's as much as anything why he's stuck in my mind, because I saw him score a goal in the flesh, and so I forget about all of the other matches that I saw him on TV. Uh, how many goals did he miss? And the trouble was with any defence, you know, they knew he was the target man, basically you isolate him and that's it, Argentinos were totally, you know, ineffectual. So, whereas yeah. now, you don't know where the goal's going to come from. It could mm. come from a full-back, it could come from, well, likely to come from the midfield, uh, and some of the youngsters who have come through the youth team are, are really starting to develop now, and uh, you've got a nice mixture. And everyone's either 20 years old or over 30, there's nobody in their 20s, you know, in no, the team. Totally. They're all very young or they're very old, you know, so it's, it's a good mix, you know. And they've got one of the best defenders in the league. Uh, Arsenal have conceded twice in, in five matches. Uh, Newell's Argentinos, Estudiantes, Lanús, and Godoy Cruz have all conceded only three. So, uh, joint second best um, in, in the league, which is perhaps not quite so surprising uh, about the Caruso side. Um, Caruso, uh, Caruso has uh, two, two uh, uh, characteristics that has are very particular. Well, one is when he talks that uh, I can't stand him, but then. When he then he sees players that nobody else sees mm -hmm. because, uh, for example, the, the one you mentioned, Bochero, was playing at Blooming in Bolivia. Yeah, he's from Argentina, but uh, no one knows him or, or knew him. And he called him, said, "Well, uh, why don't you come to play for Argentinos?" And he said, "Well, of course, Argentina, the Primera División. I am at Bolivia. Of course, I will. I will go and, and try to do my best." And those kind of things is not for any any coach. Uh, that's something that he, for 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 uh, really watching football, perhaps he's he has the skill to to watch players that no one else uh, watches. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's something that Santiago, uh, who is an enormous, uh, I call him a Caruso apologist, because uh, I'm not such a huge fan of Caruso. Must I do admit that he's got some some positive points? But Santiago loves him. For precisely that reason, he, he, the way that Santi put it a couple of weeks ago um, was that Caruso is, is great at finding players who either other managers have missed or who, like older players, who've just been completely forgotten about by everybody. And Caruso remembered this guy who's now playing in Primera D hmm. or in, in the Bolivian division, which is worse than Primera yeah, D for most Argentines. He took Higliotti, who was playing for for La Madrid the Primera mm. the, the other player the other manager who was very good at that was the you know the, the Borghi was a, you know Claudio mm. Borghi who yeah, was at Argentinos Juniors won the title with them doing exactly that picking players who everyone else had discarded the old guys who were about to retire saying well just give us another year before you kind of hang up your boots uh, and then managed to you know mix that great experience with the youngsters you know, and, did you know the, the, old, jobs, the old player who was just don't we say it 
enormously fat. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Ortigosa. The other thing that, yeah, exactly. The other thing that um, Caruso does very well, very, very much in the Mourinho style, is takes the heat away from the players by shouting and ranting and raving and saying stupid things to the media. All the anger, all the hatred is directed at him. Getting it in takes, fist yeah, fights with well, opposing exactly. managers in the middle of the street yeah. in front it of television it takes, it takes all the pressure, takes all the focus away from the players, especially if they're not playing particularly well. It English, seems to work. English uh, don't have this fantastic story, but I don't think either of you have heard uh, I can't remember whether I cut it from the episode that he mentioned it on or not, but he, uh, he said that one of, his, uh, one of his exes, I think it was, I might be misremembering the exact connection, one of, either one of his mate's girlfriends or one of his exes had a friend or something um, who was friends with one of Caruso's daughters who was like 18, 19 years old. And apparently they had a, a, like a sleepover or something, I guess, or some kind of party at their house one night. Um, so there's this bunch of kind of four or five or six 19-year-old Argentine girls hanging around drinking in the kitchen and at like 2 o'clock in the morning Caruso walks down the, the, the stairs in nothing but a very tight-fitting pair of Y-fronts just like evening ladies how are we and goes and gets a drink from the fridge and then heads back upstairs and just that kind of this is what we're, we're, we're dealing with the, the, the centre of attention all the time so he doesn't just do it we've overrun slightly so very very quickly Howard um, asks Tim Vickery uh, continually raves about how brilliant Eder Alvarez Balanta is and how great he could be what are your thoughts uh, we've mentioned this many times of course Balanta is, is already week in week out River's best outfield player Barroero is, is the best player full stop the goalkeeper um, but Balanta has yet to, to put in a really disappointing performance so I don't know whether you'd agree Andres I'm assuming you would because you have eyes and <laughs> you're a River fan well I, I think that he as uh, there are players that, that doesn't share a, a, a good uh, a good performance and he's he has been uh, well not all, not also defending uh, also some in some cases he has been going outside the the the, the, the area and the, well going in into the midfield. It's it's kind of bizarre that they've started. He's been referred to as as, as the next uh, the the new passarella. I've seen one or two people referring to him as the black passarella. A bit. It's too much it's to nice compare with passarella. It is, yeah. but in the same way, the, the reason that I mention it is because. We actually, the last time we mentioned that on Hand of Pod was Joel just ranting about the fact that this was a kid who at the time had played like five matches for River's first team and they're comparing him with a player who is the all-time highest goal-scoring defender in the history of the Argentine Primera who's played like 400 games for River or something like this, which is plainly ridiculous. But one of the things that Passarella excelled in when he was playing, also I'm led to believe, because obviously I'm far too young and far too un-Argentine to have seen that much of him, was charging out of the box. You know, he, he, the reason he's called the Kaiser, in, in, not in, in Spanish but in, in, in German, um, here in Argentina, is his similarity to Franz Beckenbauer's playing style. He was very much a libero. And at times that's what Balanta shows. You, you can kind of see where the comparisons come from. Obviously it's not that he's going to go down as the greatest defender in this club's history, because he'll be off to, to Italy within 12 months, I would, I would have thought, or Portugal or somewhere, um, on which we're going to say a little bit in a second. Um, but you can, the, the playing style, at least, is similar, if, if not the ability. Obviously, there's an enormous gulf between Passarella and most other defenders in football history. But the style... Yes. Um, I think he shows, he shows leadership, uh, not talking, but playing. Uh, he... he uh, Shows respect for for the other perhaps the rivals and, and because they know how how he is how they're they're strong uh, physically all uh, 
the, the he's physically strong and and and, and well uh, that helps him helps him very much uh, and well uh, unfortunately, unfortunately he's, he has been sold for I don't know, 5 million euro, uh, not the exactly. 10 million euro ha that has been this, this has is, been sold. This is what I say, uh, when, I, when I say we'll mention in a minute, yes. is the fact that he, he's going to be going. Um, Passarella travelled to Europe, I, I loved how this was reported, travelled to Europe. Just one place, that's very specific. Um, during the week to, to try and sell Alvarez Talanta. He said on Teise, on uh, I think it was last when, Tuesday or Wednesday, um, they showed an interview with him and he was saying, we're not going to be accepting less than 7 million euros for 80% of his registration. River owned 80% of his, his economic rights and the family have the other 10%. Um, they ended up accepting 5 million euros for 70%. So seven million over eight is um, so basically Passarella has accepted less than mm -hmm. seven million euros for eighty percent because in terms of the amount he's accepting per ten percent, let's say um, it is less. It does mean that River get to keep ten percent of, of the the rights. So basically, when he gets sold, River will get ten percent of the fee. The family will get twenty percent. Mm -hmm. The agency will get seventy percent. The agency in question is is Jorge Mendes's agency, the the Portuguese. Um, actually it might be Spanish but I think it's Portuguese uh, agent who is also Jose Mourinho's agent among others so you can expect Alvarez Balanta to be turning out at Chelsea before uh, too much longer I suspect but yeah he's, he's going to be off he's going to be an enormous loss to River and a lot of River fans are very pissed off because this happened on Sunday night or uh, yesterday morning depending, uh, Monday morning depending who you listen to and River's financial year ended on Monday night I think it's Monday night wasn't it it's not tonight uh, it's one of the two. It's either Monday night or Tuesday night. Uh, basically, Passarella, when he announced this, was entirely open, and he said, "We're doing this so that the books balance." Mm. And you think, what well, River River Plate haven't got the the borrowing power in Argentina to be able to to put up a five million euro? You know, when they've got this, because if they kept him, oh. if they keep hold of him for another twelve months, they're going to sell him for more than five million euros. Well, the way the club has been run in recent years, it's well, not a surprise, is it, really? And I'm, surpri I'm surprised thing. that River fans are surprised, in a way. Because, I don't think uh, they're so surprised as much, but they're disappointed uh, at the well, cynicism yeah. as much as anything, because, of course, yeah. the real reason this has happened, and that they've not just said, no, we're going to keep hold of him for now, and then sell him for a much bigger fee in a couple of years, is that River have got the presidential elections coming up at the end of the year, so the books have to balance this year. And that, that's the real, the really ridiculous thing. If this had been 12 months ago, without the presidential elections, then you think, well, OK, Okay, Passarella talks a lot about the economic championship, but it's, it's not that big a deal if you know that in 12 months' time you can get twice the fee for him anyway. Um, but then there's very much the feeling that he's been undersold, let's say, among River fans at the moment, and, and I'd agree with it. Um, they could have found many, many better ways of, of balancing the books. Like taking money for Funes Mori rather than taking Rodrigo Mora back after Rodrigo Mora had been crap for six months. Um, there we go, those are all the questions. Very briefly, guys, because, as I say, we're overrunning. Uh, there is an Argentine uh, national side World Cup qualifier next week. It's away to Paraguay. It's the only one Argentina have got because they've got the, the free round on uh, Friday. That's when they would have been playing Brazil under normal circumstances. Uh, how do we think it's going to go? I think, well, Paraguay are bottom of the table, aren't they? Had a very disappointing. Are they bottom? bottom <laughs> I close to it. I should have opened this I up. I think they pretty sure Paraguay are bottom. So I was in Paraguay a couple of weeks ago. Uh, great despondency, disappointment. You know, they, they do expect more from their national teams. Uh, 
Um, all it would be in Paraguay's, but I think they've got little hope of qualifying. So uh, if Par- Paraguay are possibly just playing for, for national pride. Some of the Paraguay are indeed bottom yeah. They've won two, drawn two, lost yeah. eight, conceded 23 goals right. in 12 so matches. So they're really, they're really pretty much out of it. So they'd be playing for national pride, national pride alone. And Argentina are pretty much through. So I'd go for an Argentina victory, you know. But um, really sh- just, to, just to confirm what we already know. I really should have done this beforehand, but Argentina are uh, 10 points clear of Uruguay. If Argentina win against Paraguay, mathematically speaking, Argentina could have qualified for the World Cup by the time we record our next episode. If not, then of course they will do so. Almost certainly, I hope, to Peru. Um, One reason that the squad list is interesting for this one is that they've got four players suspended. Gonzalo Higuain is still suspended for... Not very much after that bizarre red card against mm. Colombia in the Monumental in the last home qualifier. <laughs> Javier Mascherano is, of course, still suspended for kicking the doctor who was stretching off the pitch um, how, against how Colombia. How is that doctor? How is that stretcher bearer? It, it's, um, it's, uh, I suspect he's all right. He was wearing quite a thick jacket, so I don't think he really. The weirdest, felt cards, too much. weirdest incidents I've seen in football. Well, it's almost idiotic. Also, Marcos Rojo injured, he has been injured. And of course, yeah, Rojo's out, yeah. So it will be difficult to. to, to Set a, 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 a defense. They he, Sabella must uh, improve. Must uh, put a, a new, whole new defense. Defense to yeah. to to stand the, the, the match against Paraguay. That uh, even though perhaps we we think that the uh, Argentina shouldn't have any any problems to well at least uh, take a, 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 a draw. I think perhaps they they can even win. But uh, the, the defense is uh, well. We have to see who players he will yeah. call up for, for that match because... One of them, yeah. uh, we were just talking before we started recording, when, when, if any of our Argentine listeners particularly know the answer to this, I would love to hear it. Please tweet it to the Hand of Pod um, Twitter, which is at, at Hand of Pod. Um, when was the last time a current Kilmes player got called up for the Argentine national team because we were talking uh, ooh, sometime late last year or whatever it was with one of the friendlies with Brazil or with one of the meaningless kind of almost be international friendlies that Argentina played in the first half of this year uh, about how when Leonardo Poncio um, was sent on off the bench he became the first current River Plate player to play for the Argentine national team in like five years or something you would have to suspect that Kilmes has been a lot longer than five years and yet Rodrigo Brania has been called up uh, for this qualifier and given that Mascherano suspended and given that Branja of course played for Sabella and uh, for Estudiantes um, he, he was he was one of the favoured players he's been called up throughout his time at Estudiantes and now he's moved to Kilmes again the, Kilmes the club where he, he first played um, and he's been called up still and you'd have to suspect that Branja's got a chance of being starting number five against Paraguay um, when as I say when, when the last time a, a Kilmes player was, was a, a starter for Argentina whether it's ever happened before, <laughs> uh, would be something that we'd, I, I certainly would, would be very interested to hear. I don't know whether you can remember anything, Andres. No. Given you're the only Argentine in the room, which is why I'm going straight to you. Um, but yes, please get in touch if you, if you do know. But I think we'd all go for Argentina to certainly avoid defeat in that match, given Paraguay's record. I, I, personally, I think they'll get a, a win. Um, Messi's fit as well, which is the key thing. He's... he's scored this hat-trick at the weekend in the first half against Valencia. It was Valencia, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, which was just insane. So, with with a fit Messi, okay, they've got Higuain out, but they've got Eric Lamela as well, which I'm very interested to see. We mentioned last week that his um, 
his inclusion after his half-time substitution in the friendly against Italy the other week, a lot of people sort of said, oh, that's going to be the last we see of him for the national team. I'd love to see him get the chance to start again. Um, yes, Lamela, who has uh, the, his de- had his de- debut uh, the, uh, the other day uh, for Tottenham against uh, Arsenal at the, the, the derby for in the Premiership, mm. and well, he only, he only played, say, 15 minutes, I think, uh, between 15 and 20 minutes and... I've still not seen, an, uh, yes. I, I know the result, but I've still not watched much in the day too, which um, which I have not downloaded from an illegal source, if anybody from the BBC is listening. Um, so, yeah, I can't comment on how long he played for, but yes, yes you're quite right, he, he, he's made his debut for Tottenham. Uh, the very next thing that you will hear is Mystic Sam's theme music. The next thing after that that you will hear is, is Mystic Sam predicting exactly what's going to happen in the coming weekend of matches in the Argentine Primera. Before Mystic Sam begins, we will just say a very quick goodbye to, uh, to German Dam, Swiss Dam, uh, Chinese Dam. Alles gut. Danke schön. So many nationalities to choose from um, who, who can't stay, uh, hang around, unfortunately, for the sort of five, five, ten minutes that it's going to take. Actually, we've had a bit of fun out, so it could well be longer than that. Um, so, Dan, thank you very much for joining us. Um, Pleasure. Perhaps. Thank you. Hope to, hope to have you back. Very soon. I'll be back if you ask. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll see where Argentinos are next oh. time you appear. <laughs> possibly slightly higher, possibly slightly lower in the table. Um, but it's been a pleasure, as always. Thank you. Just then, I've got uh, the, the my building has got some marble steps leading down to the front door, and uh, I'm wearing slippers, and I'm very almost very nearly just slipped and broke my neck on them whilst letting Dan out. Anyway, Mystic Sam's predictions for this weekend. Once I've caught my breath from running back up the steps in slippers, here we go. Venice Sarsfield versus Newell's Old Boys. Um, I'm going to go for a draw. Estudiantes versus Belgrano, I think, is going to be an Estudiantes win. Godoy Cruz at home to Colón in Mendoza. Um, I'm going to go for a draw there. Argentinos, I'm glad Dan's already left to not hear me cursing, uh, putting the curse on his side. I'm going to go for Argentinos to win. Uh, Atletico Rafaela to lose at home to Gimnasia de la Plata. Sorry, Gimnasia de la Plata, there's no day. Did that last time as well. I had to edit it out. Uh, Racing versus Lanús. We know what this is going to be, right? They've already played each other twice this season, and Lanús won both matches. Uh, Lanús to win. Even I'm even more confident in that actually after hearing Dan's assessment of Carlos Isia earlier. Quilmes versus Arsenal in the definitely not a Clásico, but they're not very far apart from each other uh, match. Uh, that's going to be a draw. Rosario Central are going to win against San Lorenzo in Rosario. San Lorenzo, of course, have got a Midweek commitments. They, they've got uh, River Plate in the Copa Sudamericana on Thursday. Uh, River Plate versus Tigre, I think, is going to finish all square if River are really lucky. Um, and finally, Olimpo de Bahia Blanca versus Boca Juniors. I've not written down a prediction yet, but I'm going to go for a draw in that one. Boca will have the goalkeeper, a different goalkeeper for. They will. Agustino Rion yes. has been called up for the national side, as, as has Fernando Gago. Um, yeah. yeah. So Boca missing two really key players there. Um, but at the same time, Olimpo struggling, really struggling to find a win. Um, Perazzo's not, not convinced me at all. The defence is all right, but the attack is just, just awful. 
Um, and I mentioned a few weeks ago now how Olimpo were going to have to turn Bahia Blanca into, into a fortress. It's a long way for anybody to travel to get down there, and they're going to have to make it an, an unpleasant trip, let's say. And they've just not done so far. Mystic Sam got 5 out of 10 last weekend, which is, by Mystic Sam's standards, an incredible result. I think by anybody trying to predict the Argentine Primera's standards is, is a very good um, record. So we'll see what, what I get uh, this coming weekend. Will, any predictions that you agree or disagree with? No, I think um, River Plate might lose, but... Do you think River Plate are going to lose twice in a row after Poss- going 16 home matches unbeaten? Possibly, possibly. Okay, that'll be interesting if it happens. It, it's been a pleasure. Uh, Andres, congratulations on getting through your first hand pod unscathed. Thank you very much. I, I try to do my best and I will try to do it also when, as soon as you call me again. So It's been a pleasure and, and relatively sober as well. Yes, uh, yes. Well done. <laughs> um, well, thank you for for coming to visit me and, and for, for coming on the podcast you, at about brother. three hours notice as well and from me of course it's, it's thank you as ever to, to you wonderful listeners for listening um, enjoy the weekend's football we've got Argentine Primera matches this weekend as well as, as the World Cup qualifier there's no FIFA date in Argentina apparently it's, it's goodbye for now and we'll see you again or you'll hear us again next week goodbye goodbye <laughs>